The federal government announces a major overhaul of Australia's defence priorities, including the need for long-range strike weapons, but it will be costly. Westpac, Australia's second largest home lender, calls an end to the slump in house prices and why 9 million Chinese travellers is good for global airfares. It's Tuesday, the 25th of April, 2023, Anzac Day. Welcome to Fear and Greed, Australia's most popular business podcast. I'm Michael Thompson and good morning, Sean Aylmer. Good morning, Michael. Sean, as I mentioned, of course, it is Anzac Day today, and you have an interview coming up after the show with Matt McLaughlin, who is an author and one of Australia's leading war historians, as well as the founder of Matt McLaughlin Battlefield Tours. Yes, Matt is very well known among historians, particularly war historians. We have a great chat about some of the theatres of war that Australians have fought in, particularly Gallipoli in the Western Front, but also beyond that. And, I mean, it's just a poignant discussion, really, about what today's all about. I really recommend anyone listening stay online because uh, you'll hear from Matt and what Anzac Day means to him. It's just a really interesting chat. Yeah, it sure is. It's coming up a little bit later on. The main story this morning, though, Sean, Australia will spend an extra $19 billion over the next four years to boost our defences for future conflicts following the release of the government's Defence Strategic Review. Australia needs a defence force focused on maritime and amphibious missions with long-range strike weapons. The biggest review into defence in 35 years says there is only a remote possibility of an invasion, but warns that the use of military force or coercion against Australia does not require invasion. It mentioned cyber warfare and disruption to trade and supply routes as examples. The government has identified six priority areas for immediate action, acquisition, of nuclear-powered submarines, developing the Defence Force's ability to strike targets at long range and manufacture munitions locally, bolstering the network of northern bases, growing the defence workforce, introducing disruptive new technologies and deepening defence and diplomatic partnerships in the region. The review, released yesterday, recommends scrapping, delaying or scaling back 30 defence projects to save nearly $8 billion to help fund the increased spend. Defence is obviously, Sean, a very expensive business. So what does all this then mean for the budget? Under the proposals in the review, defence spending will rise above 2% of GDP over the next decade. Defence is already one of the big budget items. It's worth about $48 billion a year, you know, along with interest payments on debt, the National Disability Insurance Scheme, Health and Aged Care. Defence is one of those big five. But the review says the full cost of the recommendations won't be able to be fully quantified for some time. It does recommend buying more off-the-shelf items with less focus on building locally. The review is critical of the defence budget management of the former government, saying it left behind $42 billion in defence funding over the next decade that wasn't paid for. It includes about $8 billion for cybersecurity, $32 billion for missiles and nearly $2 billion in AUKUS spending. Not surprisingly, the review is a big supporter of the acquisition of nuclear-powered subs under AUKUS. Yeah, there's a lot of spending in this, Sean, uh, but it's not just about kind of the military hardware. Does it kind of change the way we think about defence as well? Yes, it's a good question. The review drops the 50-year-old Defence of Australia doctrine in favour of a new approach known as national defence, which calls for a whole-of-government approach to maintaining a regional balance in the Indo-Pacific. The review says, and I quote, this requires deepening diplomatic engagement and stronger defence capabilities to help deter coercion and lower the risk of conflict. It says the US is no longer the unipolar leader of the Indo-Pacific, 
and America's competition with China is the defining feature of the region. The review also attempts to better integrate the Army, Navy and Air Force and move Australia's Defence Forces beyond what the review calls a bygone era. I have never heard the word unipolar before. No, I hadn't either, to be honest. And I mean, I think it means one leader, but I hadn't heard it either. Huh, there you go. I mean, I learned a lot just then, but that is, and in a very kind of meaningful and very deep report with a lot of kind of significance for Australia, that is the thing that's kind of going uh, to stay with me. I love um, the fact that you, you just like to pick out of everything in there, the spending, priorities, you pick the word unipolar. Nice work. Yep. The defence of Australia for generations to come. And it's a slightly unusual word that I focus on. All right. Sean, what's going on in local markets? What happened yesterday? The S&P ASX 200 closed down just a touch to 7,322 points. It was a fairly quiet day on the bourse with many enjoying a four-day weekend. The Real Estate Investment Trust did best while technology and healthcare stocks also outperformed. The materials index was the worst on the day. The big iron ore miners were the standouts, but not for good reason. As the price of iron ore fell, Fortescue Metal Group and Rio's share price also slumped. Both those dropped more than 3%, while BHP was down nearly 2%. The banks were mixed. Retailers generally higher. The two best performers were Funeral Group Invocare and Diversified Miner South 32. More on both shortly. And what about international markets? Michael, around 180 S&P 500 companies, including half of the top 30 companies in the Dow Jones Index, are scheduled to report results over the next week or so. It will very much dictate Wall Street and probably the local market with concerns around whether the slowing US economy is yet to eat into earnings. The first quarter earnings season for the S&P 500 is off to a better start relative to the last two quarters. Now, they measure that on what they call earnings surprises. There are always earnings surprises. Companies always beat expectations. Generally, they beat them by about 8%. This time around, they've beaten them by about 6%. So that's not such a good result. Michael, in commodity markets, most were lower. Brent crude is heading towards 80 US dollars a barrel. Gold is back above 2,000 US dollars an ounce and coal is weaker. The Aussie dollar is buying around 66.7 US cents. Earnings surprises, can they be positive and negative surprises? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay, so it's not just like a term that's used if it's a good thing. It's also used if it's a dismal. I'll tell you a story about South 32, which will illustrate your question very well. Oh, the problem is that surprise has a kind of like a quite a positive connotation. Like it's a surprise. Oh, really? Part. Yeah, don't you think? Whereas surprise, like it should be a shock for something negative, surprise for something positive. What about a nasty surprise? Well, maybe they should call it that. Maybe. Once <laughs> again, focusing if, on the really if, relevant stuff in the story. I feel like that's my job here because <laughs> I, it just occurred to me as we we're going through that I hadn't really kind of heard it. I didn't know whether it went both ways and apparently it does. So again, learning a lot today. Thank you, Sean. We'll be back in a moment with the rest of the day's business news. Sean, Westpac, Australia's second largest home lender, has called an end to slumping house prices but warned that the housing market will remain on edge. Chief Economist Bill Evans, who had previously said prices would fall more, probably by about another 7%, now expects prices to be flat this year with a sustained recovery in 2024. Australia's housing correction is largely over, several factors combining to produce the stabilisation. 
Evans said in a market update yesterday before adding that he expects prices to lift by about 5% next year. He said increasing migration, rising construction costs and a lower level of supply were contributing to the market stabilisation. Prices nationally were up nearly 1% in March and are tracking for a similar gain in April based on daily figures for the month so far. The price gains are lopsided, centred on Sydney where upper tier markets are leading the way, but Westpac said all major capital city markets have now seen prices stabilise or post small rises over the past three months or so. Isn't it funny that economists and people looking at essentially the same data can come up with such vastly different projections? Like Bill Evans there, who's, who's obviously had a lot of experience and has a very good track record for predicting kind of market movements, is saying that it's flattened out. But then yesterday in our interview with Warren Hogan, former chief economist for ANZ and now heading up Halo Technologies property division, said that it's got a fair bit more to go and, and arguably they'd be looking at pretty similar kind of data, wouldn't they? To some extent, what the big banks have in their favour is that they know exactly what's happening in the market. They're not relying on ABS stats or kind of housing industry association information because they're the lenders. They do see what's going on. So that's why often when you talk about the Commonwealth Bank, Westpac, ANZ, and National Australia Bank and their chief economists, you kind of listen pretty hard because they should know what's going on. Also, to be a chief economist at one of those really top-tier banks You've got to know what you're talking about. Bill Evans has been around a long time. He definitely knows what he's talking about. That's not to say others like Warren and others don't. It's just sometimes they don't quite have the data at their fingertips that someone like Bill might have. There you go. All right. Now, Sean, you mentioned earlier InvoCare and the funeral services company's share price fell 8% yesterday. Did you have any, any interest in that last conversation, the crapping on that I was doing just then, Michael? You just, you know, I was chatting and you just sort of went, oh, hmm, yeah, right, okay. No, I listened and I I processed it and then I realised that, see, the way I operate, Sean, and, I, and I, I'm guessing you probably realise this by now, is that I make a lot of assumptions as we go through in that, that I just assume that everyone would be looking at the same information and that I assume that when they make different kind of projections that it is based on similar information. I put that out there as my assumption, you shot it down. And so I moved on. I'm not going to focus Excellent. on the fact that I was wrong. It's, I can if you want. <laughs> oh, no, it's a good question. You were never wrong, Michael. It's an excellent question. Let's just move on. I like this next story. All right. Well, as I was saying, Sean, funeral services company Invercare's share price fell 8% yesterday after private equity group TPG withdrew its $1.8 billion buyout proposal. But that doesn't mean it's not hanging around. TPG holds almost 20% of InvoCare and has asked for a seat on the board of the group, which runs national brands, including White Lady Funerals and Simplicity Funerals, as well as several state brands. In a statement, InvoCare said it is still willing to consider any proposal that represents good value for shareholders. The InvoCare board has remained steadfast in its view that it is not prepared to grant TPG full due diligence because the $12.65 a share proposal doesn't deliver compelling value. InvoCare share price closed yesterday at $11.18. All right, now you were uh, teasing me with this one mm. earlier, Sean, which sounds a lot more a lot more erotic than it really is. Uh, diversified miner <laughs> South 32. <laughs> Yes, go on. Has lowered its production guidance for the financial year across most of the commodities it produces, sending its share price down 7%. This is a nasty surprise. It's come out, it surprised the market saying Hmm. things aren't doing so well. That's what we're talking about. Now, South 32 share price at one point yesterday was down 10% 
after it said production of silver, lead and zinc had all tumbled during the March quarter, meaning that total production for the financial year will be lower. Output of coal, alumina and nickel also fell. Now, the miner blamed adverse weather and other temporary impacts. South 32, pretty amazing company. It operates globally, mining alumina in Mozambique, silver and lead in Queensland, nickel in Colombia, coal in New South Wales. But i got to say, it was a bit of a shocker all around yesterday. Okay, so I understand how you can have a bad surprise. And so we'll go from a bad surprise, which I have to say with kind of a, a, a downward inflection, to a good surprise, which is Blue yeah. Scope Steel. Pretty much did the opposite yeah. to South 32, upgrading its half-year earnings. Sure, it did. It upped its earnings outlook by about 40%, which is massive, thanks to its North Star steel mill in the US. Now, steel prices are higher. Output is expanding. Good news for Bluescope. The group has just completed a $1 billion expansion of North Star, which added 850,000 tonnes of extra capacity to its production facilities. They're, they're in Ohio in the US. It's been steadily bringing that extra capacity on stream in response to the improving US market hence the upgrade yesterday. The group's US operations had a slow start to the financial year. That's mostly because of depressed pricing as US car makers were restricted due to the shortage in availability of semiconductor chips. That has rectified itself. Hence, Bluescope is selling more steel. All right, Sean, turning to international news now, and European states have reacted with fury to a Chinese envoy questioning the independence of ex-Soviet states. Some ex-Soviet Union countries don't have effective status under international law, China's ambassador to France, Liu Shei, said in an interview. The ambassador added that there is no international agreement to realise their status as a sovereign nation when asked whether he considers Crimea, which was annexed by Russia back in 2014, as part of Ukraine. After the comments, Latvia, Lithuania and Estonia announced plans to summon the top Chinese diplomats in their nations to explain the comments. All three, of course, are former members of the Soviet bloc, which collapsed in 1991. Given China's role in diplomacy around the Russia-Ukraine war, it's not surprising some of the ex-Soviet nations are very worried by the comments. Now, we mentioned this one at the top of the show, Sean. Investors and airline watchers have been waiting for a return to the skies by the Chinese, and the early signs are very positive. Remember last week, Michael, Graham Turner, the head of Flight Centre, said international airfares will really start falling in earnest only when the Chinese start travelling again. Well... It looks like it might be happening. About 170 million Chinese holidayed overseas in 2019, pre-pandemic. Last year, that figure, amid COVID-19 lockdowns, was just 9 million. But already, the same amount, 9 million, have booked trips during Golden Week holiday period, the Golden Week holiday period, which starts next week in China. So in one week, you'll have the same travel numbers as you had all of last year. Market watchers have taken it to mean that Chinese travellers are back and, as Graham Turner said, that should mean lower prices for everyone. That is good news. It is good news. Very exciting. It's rare for you to finish the show on a good news story. I I usually wait for (laughs) it and you bust out something depressing and quite gloomy and today you've delivered. We'll be all right. Once we're back, the sort of regular week kids are back at school and all states, people are back in the office. We'll go back to gloominess. It's fine. 
We can get back to the back to the bad news. All right. Now, up next is the Fear and Greed Daily Interview, and it's really a, a special Anzac Day conversation today. You're speaking with Matt McLaughlin, one of Australia's leading war historians and founder of Matt McLaughlin Battlefield Tours. Yes, what Anzac Day means to him, he has travelled much of the world to battlefields. Obviously, we talk about the Western Front, about Gallipoli and others. A great chat and very appropriate for today, Michael. Yeah, certainly is. It's coming up next in the Fear and Greed playlist on your podcast platform or at fearandgreed.com.au. Thank you very much, Sean. Thank you, Michael. It's Tuesday, the 25th of April, 2023. Make sure you're following the podcast. Join us online on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and stay up to date on all the business news with Alexa and your Amazon Echo smart speaker. Simply say, Alexa, play the Fear and Greed podcast to catch the latest episode. You can grab yours now at amazon.com.au. I'm Michael Thompson, and that was Fear and Greed. Have a great day.